0: Welcome to another episode of the Loan Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Clementson. If you're a recruiter, out on your own, or just lacking like general guidance or mentorship, you've come to the right place. Our episodes are designed to give you the motivation, the strategies, and the support you need to become the very best loan recruiter. So join us, grab a cup of coffee, and take your desk to another level. Now today, we are joined by the handsome Josh. And he's handsome because he's wearing one of my hats today. <laughs> well, exactly welcome. it. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Um, For anyone at home who doesn't know Josh, he has quite a remarkable um, history I'm learning and 11 years in recruitment, I'm going to bastardise it if I try to explain what it is, but I'm going to give you 60 seconds, tell us what you do, how you've done it, what got you into recruitment, what you've done,
1: let's go. 60 second elevator pitch, I think like everybody I fell into recruitment, it actually runs in the family, my mum was a recruiter so. I wanted to be a recruiter when I was growing up. Makes one of us. Um, to be honest, it was one of those things. I was in banking and finance at the time, went to see a recruiter, and he went, you could probably do this job. I said, oh, okay, yeah, no worries, gave it a go. And like everybody, I think once you get on that roller coaster, it's really hard to get out of it. Mm. I started at Hayes for my sins. And then made the the cardinal mistake without any disrespect to anybody in that business of going to Michael Page. You don't cross the divide very often. It's a bit like the (laughs) Liverpool-Man United rivalry. Um, And then from there, smaller growing businesses, all startups, all early stage desks, tech for 11 of those years, one in oil and gas, which is a fascinating industry to be in, but really hard to slog, I think, in any market, but particularly at that time. Built Perth's best now tech recruitment business as awarded by Saucer last year, and now... Uh, with the network here for coming up to nearly five years so yeah that's me in a nutshell i think we're getting some wisdom today so let's jump into it
0: um today we're on our quest to interview 100 recruiters i don't even know what we're up to at the moment but we're getting through them we're getting through them and we're seeing some good answers so i've got five questions for you today um the first one i have for you is if you have to have one KPI, or if you could only have one KPI, and I never know if someone's in an environment of like, we love KPIs, and I'm guessing you are, because you're from Hayes and Michael Page. Um, but if you could only have one, to
1: measure the success of your desk, or to measure your day-to-day success, what is that KPI? I'm the anti-KPI guy. Like, I think those those times probably taught me that KPIs, for KPI's sake, are wonderful things. I am absolutely a fan of quality over quantity. For me, that is all that matters in no. our industry. Now... To answer the question, I think, and I'm going to take a little liberty because I've heard a few other people do it. I'm going to, I'm going to answer it two-pronged. One, mm-hmm. I think you need to be across both ends of your recruitment pipeline. Now, by that, I mean what you're doing with your clients and how you're bringing them in, meetings. For me, you need to be in front of people. Mm-hmm. If you're not sitting down and having this type of conversation, you're not doing the job properly. That's where the magic is. That's how you get to build the, the outcomes. And then where things are at when it comes to final stages and interviews so that you know your dollar at the end those two things if you take care of everything in those two areas mm. the rest is actually pretty easy it takes care of itself if you do the job
0: even you know to a well, basic uh, standard so you're basically saying if you get in the room with the client you know the works will come if you do it well and if you're yeah. at the end and when you say the end you're talking about the, the closing the stage closing and stuff part, and making sure
1: you're doing that part well so as long right. as you're you're tracking every step naturally without maybe the same rigor but if i was to sit and look at a desk from a bird's eye view and someone said hey what is this person doing well or doing poorly mm. and they gave me no other metrics i would look at how many meetings they're doing every week yeah. and then how many interviews they're getting or final stage interviews they're getting for me if that answer that would give me the indication of where i need to look at mm. that might be breaking down if those two things are working. <clears throat> that makes sense so just just going a little deeper on that mm. um
0: how many meetings a week would you like to see if you were at like on yourself um,
1: a, just a senior recruiter, you had no other managerial expectations, whatever. You were yeah. just a biller. How many meetings a week? I would like to say that I'd do one a day, but the reality of that is that I think realistically four is a pretty achievable kind of goal. I actually have times now where I just go to one location and say, hey, I'm in the area, I'm trying to get through a four in a day. Yeah, sure. Um, my my whole approach to recruitment is hyper organised now because I increasingly I have less and less time. Mm-hmm. I have a day planner and mm-hmm. like yeah, all this level of fastidiousness that's always kind of, you know, been very positive for me. So I think that if you have those metrics and you're seeing that many people, as long as you're not you know, in there just for the sake of it and you know the person you're meeting, there's some value to be had in right. both sides, it will come. Well typically a meeting happens because
0: they've got something they need Correct. to say. So. You've already, that hurdle's already jumped. You would hope so. You would hope so. Um, Okay, cool. That was a great answer. Two, um, if you could only, for whatever reason, you've run out of time, you've only got three interview questions to ask the candidate. Like, what are the three main ones you need to run off and go, I can make this happen, or
1: at least get this thing started? Yeah, I love this question. This is the one that I was thinking about on the drive up here. I was thinking, how am I going to answer the three interview question rule? And when I kind of broke it down in my own head, I think that, I purposely can be quite vague. And by that, I mean, I'll ask questions that I don't give further clarification to. So for instance, tell me about yourself. Mm. It gives me a lot of insight into who you are by the way you answer that question. True. I had someone yesterday, I asked that question to in technology leadership, and they started telling me about the fact that they do training in the weekend and stuff like that. Awesome, that's where your priorities lie. I understand a bit about who you are as a person. Mm. But my next follow-up question is always, okay, but what about work? Yeah. Um, I wanna know about career ambitions. And then I'm gonna ask why. Mm. And Lastly, I know I've just kind of two point, you know, two and a half there. But lastly, it's always the fundamentals of recruitment. How much do you want? <laughs> you know,
0: what's the notice period? So you, all so, these kinds so of things. Th- three interview questions
1: with part A's and part B's in between. You can't help yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, the recruitment fundamentals. One question. Just hey, yeah, you know, is it aligned? Mm. Who are you and why? Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you interview people? Um, like are you predominantly headhunting environment. Bit of both. you know what the brief yeah. is, or have you gone, nah, I know my market, I know that, that you're good
1: talent for my client base, don't know where the jobs are, a bit of both? I think in my market at the moment, it's a people and advertising roles. I advertised one recently for a head of technology, I had 400 and something odd applicants. My phone has been blowing up the whole time I've been here. Yeah. That's a really different market to the kind of middle market that you're seeing. What that means is that when you get really good people, and I don't have capacity to take more than, say, five on at a time, I go and take those people to market, mm-hmm. but then also I'm out there trying to win briefs and retained assignments to then do the other side of that. Mm. I try to avoid that kind of contingent space as much as possible in this day and age. I like being paid before I do anything. I think it's, it's yeah. a mutual benefit, um, but good people will always open doors and having good people and good relationships on both sides of your recruitment fence mm. is the key to success in my opinion. I agree,
0: I agree. Okay, wonderful. Um, let's just say you get to the end of a process, and the candidate, the offer comes in. Uh, what's what's your closing
1: sequence, or how do you close a candidate? Do you have a favourite closing line? I do, I do, and and it's again. I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not letting you run the format, but for me, A, B, C always be closing. Right, your your closing should begin from the minute you have that first conversation. Yes. You know, if you've only got three interview questions, maybe I'll go back and answer that differently. Maybe you should ask <laughs> about the, the the kind of counter offer and everything there. For me, if that person is in that final stage of interview and I'm not 100%, 98% sure that they're going to take that role, they're not going forward. I am having that discussion around making sure everything is locked down mm. before I get to that white, because it's important that client, I save face with my client but also that the candidate isn't there being messed around at the time is our most precious commodity. So mm. um, the closing line is always, the last one is always, hey, congratulations, it's done. That's mm. That's it because right. I've already known... Yes, you're happy with it. We've moved through that process. My processes are also quite long. So it's not like a day and a half turnaround. Hey, look, we spoke yesterday. Here's here's an offer. It's a case of, all right, we've negotiated a bit here and there. This is how we go about things. Everything Mm -hmm. we wanted done. You're happy. Cool.
0: And you mentioned you do um, a lot of C-suite or executive roles. And I find when I go that level, I I way prefer playing there. And it's not because everyone says, oh, because the fees are better. Yeah, they are way better. But that I actually genuinely think people at that level are way more considered, they know what they want, and more importantly, they know what they don't want. And I find that it is way easier to have that conversation halfway through and going, we're going down a path, are
1: we on the right track here? Yeah, the level of professionalism is miles different. And the more senior you get, I've done a couple of CEO assignments recently, those are pleasures to deal with. Because everybody in there knows what you're in for they've invested a lot of time they're busy human beings Mm -hmm. to go through a process so none of them are going to waste that Mm -hmm. you'll have maybe 100 pre-screen calls or or more when people come in and say hey look what about this role and they'll just cut it off halfway through and Mm -hmm. it's refreshing it's like okay well look you know that this isn't right anybody that's going through that process you've done all the due diligence you've got all the information they know (coughs) excuse me um they know about everything already so there's none of that kind of oh maybe yes no i'm not sure. They know before they even start the process yeah i agree okay wonderful
0: we're smashing the time here okay uh camera offer we all love a offer. let's just say you have this dream process and this person you know we we get all the confidence in the world and we're just sung the praises of these c suites. but i'm sure you still get counteroffer. of course
1: how do you handle them they're a reality right yes they have to be they have to be and i think that you know, we'd all be hypocrites to say that we haven't probably thought about them at times in the career and stuff like that. I think that the reality is, is that you can only be so prepared. Mm. And I I know from my earlier you know, time in my career when I was working at engineering roles and things like that, you run out that kind of tired line, oh 80% of people will give it That's not gonna work. The reality is is that if that person has accepted that counter offer, it's already too late. Yeah. You should be dealing with that much the same as you are with the closing from the minute you get in that conversation. Mm. I'm actually always, in my conversations really upfront. you're going to get a counteroffer. Mm. The upside there is if they don't, they're like, oh, well, I made the right choice to leave. And if they do, of course, like, you're amazing. Why would you not get one? Yeah. And if you're dealing with that from day one, it's a difficult conversation that we as recruiters don't like to have. But that minute of investment early on mm. is orders of magnitude more efficient than trying to save something that's already done long. And, you know,
0: I, I actually stuffed this up myself the other week. I did not prep a candidate for a counter. And it was because, because the sequencing, I, I think it was a very, just very busy period where we made a lot of placements and we had a lot going on. And this is one, I just thought, oh, she like but had every reason to leave. Yeah. Right? And you get, that's an easy one, whatever. Um, hadn't, had, like the contract was coming and I just said, sit tight. Contract's coming. Once that contract's done, we've signed it because they'd verbally accepted. Yep, that yeah. sounds good, I'm happy with that. Um, I said, once we've signed up, we'll go through all the office stuff. Yeah. I'll give you a resignation letter, template, things like that. She up the gun. So I, I just, I missed it by a few days. It was always planned to do it, but sometimes people do dumb stuff, too. They go, well, I know the offer's coming. I'm just going to have a quick chat with my boss. And yeah, then you have not prepped them. I prep go, oh, I've got a counteroffer, and I feel flattered. And I was like, it was one of those ones where I'm like, oh, man, I could have prevented this
1: entire... They're the, worst. <laughs> oh, they're the worst. They're the worst. They're the worst. The thing about our industry is, you know, you're not selling something that is physical. It's a person mm. that has thoughts, feelings, emotions, does irrational things, which is the beauty of our industry, mm. but also the challenge. And there's something about it, you know, it's it's Sod's Law, Murphy's Law, whatever the saying is, is that the one that you don't is the one that bites you, and oh, yeah. it's always. I, I still get it every now and again now, and I look back and I, I kind of I've got to the point of not being angry about it. I laugh and then go, Well, this is what I get for being so, you know, so naive. That's uh, it. I love how jaded older recruiters get.
0: <laughs> it's about the ten year mark. Like, yeah. I've seen it all. <laughs> all right, last one. I don't get I don't pick you as someone who gets in the slump often, but we all hit hit something. We either get burnout or we, we, we hit a bad patch or whatever. But what do you do? Like what do, what is your sequence to get yourself
1: out and when you recognise that you're in a slump? I'm honored that you don't think that that's the case. I, I probably have it once a year. And I think that um, as a leader, increasingly, I've got really good at seeing it, not only myself, but also in the team, mm. There's telltale signs. I think COVID has been really good for that because it helps you, yeah. certainly in our business, we did a lot of work around burnout. Mm. And I didn't even really think about it as a, as a concept. You know, We were always taught in recruitment, just keep swimming, for want of a better word, you know, keep dialing, keep doing the work and it will work itself out. You have a holiday, eventually everything's fine. Um, the positive of that is that that's not the case anymore. Mm. For me, when i'm at my best is when i'm perfectly balanced mm, that is i'm up early i'm going to the gym i'm i'm eating well mm-hmm. i'm um really focused on my outcomes day to day and the benefit of my role is that uh, because i've got longer sales cycle it's not as you know maybe um yeah but also reactive i think is probably the way to put it right you're not kind of like oh, i need to get something in three hours i do have clients that have that space still but it allows me a bit more time to be mm. Yeah, focused on, on the end goal. Um for me, if I'm not organized, and it happens sometimes when things happen or you have meetings or what have you, and it's like, oh, where's the day gone? Mm. Your your headspace is gone. So I think being aware of what your trigger is and being aware of what you're good at and what you're not good at, and putting ways not to mitigate, but to get around these issues. Because you can't you're not gonna avoid it. Everyone's gonna have a slump. Mm. This job will teach you every time that you are just human. Mm. And being aware of that and accepting it and cynical maybe is the right way of putting it as you said before is the best way to avoid Mm. having those slumps when you're in them take time stop recalibrate I've said to members of my team before look you're not in a good place have the afternoon off Mm. don't look at your emails Yeah, that's the only condition have the afternoon take the day you're burnt out think about it and every single time it's happened they've come back and gone yeah that made a big difference yeah
0: yeah I love it Uh, I'm I'm 100% on board with that and I'm I think that, um, I, I, I did a podcast the other day about this too, like, because of, I think, really since COVID, that world of work and working from home, it's just like two worlds do collide. So people are actually working harder and longer. Really? like They're like, oh, I get more done because I'm not commuting. But then they're also pushing the boundary of like, oh, I'll be there, I'll be dinner in 15 minutes. Like, I, think, I actually think people are working harder <clears throat> or or they're working longer and not as not as efficiently. A, by the way, that. it's creating this friction, right? Exactly anyway i find it fascinating that's five questions i'm gonna wrap this one up 15 minutes it's a long one <clears throat> that's um that was great thank, thank you, very you. Much for jumping on pleasure really appreciate it that's all we have time for you today as always <clears throat> if you got something out of this episode which i'm sure you did like us five stars share us go and connect Please. With josh um uh it helps us all grow we really appreciate it have an amazing day and as always make all your deals come true
1: yeah <laughs>